Michael, this is all very confusing. There's no denying that artificial intelligence has crept into every part of our lives, and the financial world is no exception. Over the past five years, the industry has seen the birth of the so-called robo-advisor. Some have touted robo-advisors as the eventual replacement for human financial advisors, while others see it as a passing novelty. In this episode, we're going to talk about what a robo-advisor is, who is using them, and our thoughts about their place in the industry. I'm Remy Bartolotta, and this is On Markets, presented by Darwin Asset Management and Darwin Wealth Management. With me today, I have CIO Michael Sorrentino and Senior Financial Advisor Michael Bartolotta. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to shout out on the show, email comments at onmarkets.com or hit me up directly at remy at onmarkets.com. And if you like the show, please hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. So before we get started, if you're in the Tampa, Florida area and you're looking to make a positive environmental impact, head over to Darwin Wealth Management for the Make an Impact event. Whether it's spring cleaning or maybe you just want to destroy some evidence, we're not judging. Just bring all your old documents and files to Darwin to be shredded on Saturday, April 23rd from 9 to 1. Afterwards, you can stick around for live music, food trucks, probably some free swag. Should be a good time. So let's set the stage by first defining the term robo-advisor. Do you know, you want to tell everybody what a robo-advisor is? Yeah, a robo-advisor is a way to leverage technology to achieve some of the similar outcomes that a traditional financial advisor would provide. It's a way for a client who, let's use an example, that's probably the best way to do this. Let's say you're somebody, you're 25, 30 years old, you're making decent money, you're saving a little bit every month. You probably don't need full financial planning, right? You don't need estate planning. You don't need complex tax strategies employed. All you really need is somebody or something to professionally manage your money and help it grow over the next two, three, maybe even four decades. In this instance, why would you want to pay an advisor one or one and a half percent, whatever the fee is, when you're not going to use probably 80 or 85 percent of what that financial advisor offers? So what a robo-advisor is designed to do is to segment out that service offering and saying, okay, we're not going to offer you the full shebang. We're just going to give you professional money management, rebalancing, trading, things of that nature to kind of hopefully keep you on track for your long-term goals but not provide that much more. So the obvious benefit right out of the gate, Tino, is it costs less. For somebody that doesn't need the services, they can save. What other benefits come from using a robo-advisor? I think cost is a big one. Uh, Again, you don't want to spend a lot of money on something that you're not going to use. So from a value perspective, a lot of times these robo-advisors end up adding to returns. Look, let's be honest. We're in this business. Fees matter. Okay, so if you're paying a fee, hopefully you're going to get something in return. And if you're not using those services, there's no reason to pay. Another advantage, really, is that, at least on paper, these robo-advisors are designed to remove and eliminate emotion. Computers don't feel anything. So during times of extreme panic or whatever it might be, if you're telling a computer to run a strategy, whatever strategy that might be, it's going to execute during times of good and bad. So if you can eliminate that emotion, eliminate that desire to sell in the panic or get euphoric, whatever it might be, uh, there's a good probability, assuming that the strategy is a sound one, that it'll keep you on track. You know, I want to jump in there, though. Just because the robo has no emotion, it doesn't necessarily mean the client of the robo has no emotion, right? We talk about that all the time. How do we earn our fees? And we always say, you know, a big part of our value is preventing people from making emotional decisions. 
And while the robo can manage a mix of assets without emotion, you know, there's nothing that that robo can do to prevent somebody that starts freaking out because they hear something on the news, the market's going to crash, it's overvalued, blah, blah, blah. That is the, probably one of the disadvantages. The robo can't prevent the user from being emotional. Yeah, that ties into the notion of while robo-advisors are great tools, I think they're one of the most misunderstood tools out there. These are not meant to replace a financial advisor, not even close. They are designed to segment out and find specific types of investors that are suited for them. One of them, like I said earlier, you don't really need the full financial advisor experience. Secondly, you need to make sure that you can keep it together. You know, Mike, what you're mentioning there is everything. We always say that you know, financial advisors are psychiatrists first and financiers second. If you can keep a client from making the worst possible mistake at the worst possible time, you've earned your fee in perpetuity. So if you feel that you're susceptible to panic selling or getting into things like the meme stock craziness of 2021, then this might not be the best tool for you. Even if you end up spending more money on an annual basis from a fee perspective, if it can keep you on track better, it's going to pay off in the long run. I mean, the average investor over the long run has barely beat inflation because of panic selling. I'm going to give some stats that you're probably not going to find very surprising, and I'm going to give you a few that you might actually. So let me give you a few that I feel like nobody's going to be super surprised about. In a study, the percentage of investors with over 500,000 of investable assets who use a robo are as follows. Boomers, only 5%. No surprise. Gen X, 18%. And millennials, at 50%. So I don't think anybody's surprised about that. You know, Millennials are using this the most. But here's what I do think is a little bit surprising. Of those millennials, millennials with less than $50,000 only make up 10% of robo-users. Whereas millennials with 50 to 500 make up 22%. Those are shocking numbers. So the majority of millennials that are using a robo are actually higher net worth investors, which based on the comment that Mike just made is surprising because you would think that a higher net worth investor needs a lot more financial planning services and they need a lot more handholding because their issues are, are larger. So what do you guys make of those numbers? I think it sort of supports Tino's assertion that robos are misunderstood, right? People that are of higher net worth, you know, it's not just that you need to, to prevent them from making bad emotional decisions, but they may need the other services of an advisor. Legacy planning, the tax planning, those kinds of things that a robo is ill-equipped to help with. A robo really is more of an asset management tool than a true investing tool, if you think about it. I mean, it, it, a robo is incapable of having a conversation with someone about how they feel about their future or what their primary goals are or what's the emotion behind those goals. And those are the kinds of things that higher net worth people really need the services of an advisor for. So it's a little scary to me. So I'm going to ask you a couple just just real binary questions, as Tina likes to say. <laughs> Should a robo-advisor be used by a high net worth individual or a lower net worth individual? I already know Tino's answer. <laughs> you already know what I'm going to say there. <laughs> I, I do. You know, it's, you know, I was actually thinking earlier this week that we've, the, the name of our podcast is really a misnomer. It, we should have named the podcast, It Depends. That's the business. Yeah, it does depend. I mean, it's not necessarily the account size, in my opinion. It's, you know, what do you plan to do with it? Now, there are obvious exceptions. If you sell a company to Google and you get a boatload of money at 23 years old, you need an advisor. 
the complexity behind something like that is is immense. But for the average Joe that has a little bit of money or you know a lot of money somewhere in that range, it depends on what you're looking for, and it depends on who you are. If you're somebody who doesn't need the guidance, who has the stomach to be able to do this on their own, but doesn't know how to allocate to various different types of asset classes, you know, the robo is going to be a great option, irrespective of the account size to some degree. But you know, look, I mean, most people aren't that. When I think about a robo advisor, again, it goes back to this idea: that it's not a replacement most of the time; it's a tool. So, do you know how many financial advisors do you think actually use it as a tool? Or maybe that's a better question for Mike. Actually, uh, I think very few. I think a lot of financial advisors frankly, are a little bit afraid. They feel like they're being replaced, like their job is being replaced, because I think they depend a little too much on returns and actual asset management. And and listen, that's dominated a lot of our conversation, if we're honest, with each other, right? We're going to launch a robo fairly soon. And we've been talking a lot about how do we position it with our clients so that they don't just feel like we're going to launch a lower cost solution of what we're already doing, right? How do we create the right perception that this is truly what the value of the robo is and this is who it's appropriate for. I think about it this way. What we're really talking about here is technological innovation. Try to name one industry, trend, company, idea, whatever it is on your mind. Name one that has faced the competitive threat of technology in one. Because I can't. I mean, there's not a single industry, yeah. company. My favorite example, I think Mike, you know, I talked about this one time about Kodak. Yeah, we did. Kodak, obviously, with digital cameras, they invented the damn thing. I mean, they literally invented it back in 1975 and they killed it because they were worried about their high margin film business. So you're going to lose. In my opinion, robo advisors are only a threat to those who view them as a threat. Okay. And if you're an advisor right now and you view these as a threat, then you're not seeing the bigger picture, in my opinion. Because these could be an incredibly powerful tool for an advisory practice, for ways to bring in new clientele, for ways to segment out your own book, and to, frankly, have your own advisory experience fit more like a glove to a more diverse range of prospective clients. Why do you think there's this feeling out there that it's sort of an either-or, that the robo-advisor is a competition to a traditional financial advisor? Well, listen, most financial advisors come from a sales background. And they have a certain personality type, and there's a bit of paranoia built into that personality type, right? <laughs> it's it, it is. It's just the way it is. I mean, I hate to say it about my own profession, but it's true. You're naturally competitive, and when you're naturally competitive, you're naturally paranoid. And I think that you know we've talked about how long it takes for things to gain adoption and things like that for people to really realize the uses for them. And I think the first thing that you see, probably in almost any industry where automation is starting to play a role does this replace me or does this replace some function that I'm now performing? Does it minimize my value in some way? And I think if we use it properly, the answer to that is no, but it's very easy to feel like it's yes. I'll add to that. Robo-advisors have been around for years now. I don't know what the number is, five, six years, something like that. And the first uh, entrant into the area, one of the biggest ones was Wellfront. This company was founded by a very famous venture capitalist and They've got every top financial mind on their board, and it was an incredibly powerful marketing machine. And that's what a lot of times people forget is that financial services, if you want to figure out where the best marketers are, go to finance. And they touted themselves as this amazing machine where they've been able to use technology to basically replace advisors. And that was the marketing pitch for a very long time with the early robo-advisors was, why are you paying that guy over there to do that job when I can do it for a fraction of the cost? So... I think a lot of people bought into that. To your point, Mike, a lot of advisors bought into that. Now, since then, robo-advisors in the industry has, has shifted dramatically to more of a tool for advisors versus a direct competitive threat. 
but I think you know the seed has been uh, planted long ago for a lot of these advisors. It's funny, when I first saw a robo, anybody who's ever been to a financial advisor, one of the first things they do is they take a risk analysis test, right? And when I first saw a robo, and this is, you know, again, maybe five, six years ago, my first reaction was, this is basically just a risk analysis tool that takes it one step further, right? Instead of just saying, well, your risk level is X, it says your risk level is X, and here's an investment model that you should look at. And it's not much more than that. They've become a little bit more advanced, you know, these days, but it's not all that much different from just taking a risk analysis test, which everybody's willing to do. So it's interesting that you know you sort of just you just go one step further and it creates this dread throughout the industry. And part of it I'm wondering is if it's because the name, right? It's robo advisor versus robo money manager, which it's it's closer to really a money manager than it is an advisor. But I think what Tino just shared, right, the way this was marketed is really another way of selling on lower fees. It's not selling on the value of what this thing does for what you're paying or comparing what you're paying an advisory for. It's like, I could do the same thing as a, as a live human advisor for less money, which is essentially not true. It's not, not even a little. So some of the benefits, it costs less, requires uh, smaller uh, account minimums, it theoretically eliminates the emotions that you know an advisor might bring into a relationship. Some of the disadvantages, there's really no true financial planning. There's no advice during turbulent, volatile times. There's limited investment options, right? So knowing all that, when it comes to robo-advisors, what's the bottom line? Bottom line for me is a robo-advisor has its place. If it's used appropriately, I think it could be a great value. But you know, be wary of just looking at it as though it's a cheaper way to provide the same service that a human advisor provides. I think that's the key, Mike. The advisory experience is broadly reaching in many instances. My world and the asset management side it's a fraction of it. For some reason, there's more visibility put on the asset management side. But when you think about getting to your long-term goals, proper tax planning in many instances is just as important, if not more important, than owning the right stock at the right time. So again, you got to ask yourself, what are you looking for as an investor? And from there, you know, what's your personality like? And then decide if a robo-advisor is good for you. Podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management LLC and Darwin Advisors LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there could be no assurance that any investment or strategy strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.